into valleys, into waters, into jungles, into hell. Let us ride, let us ride home again with a story to tell. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashOfSteel.com. <laughs> I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today on our first anniversary show, episode 53, is freelance writer Tom Chick. Who wants a coffee? <laughs> are you taking your stick? Good lord, what the hell is that? I'm going to float that intonation for the new year. We'll just see if it takes. I don't know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. Freelance writer Rob Zachney. Good evening. And freelance writer uh, Julia Murdoch. Hello, hello. How is everyone? I think we're all well. How are you, Julian? I'm bouncing off the walls. I've decided that my progeny are going to be strategy gaming paragons. Oh, my daughter has, uh, and, and this directly relates to you specifically, Troy, because she always delays bedtime by trying to talk about things she knows I want to talk about. So at you know seven thirty tonight, she starts with the "Why did World War II happen?" conversation, which no is always good. Yeah, nice, quick one minute answer there. Well, she's reading the diary of Anne Frank, and so we start this in depth conversation, and and I sort of really try to lay it out. I start drawing maps and stuff, and then I start going to the internet, and she starts. She's asking all these smart questions, and um, so two awesome things happen. The first one was if you type in. WW2 space maps into Google at the bottom of the page you get our podcast which is just like the most awesome thing ever because oh. we had that discussion on maps right and it but but we show up at the top of Google on the first page when you type in World War II maps um <clears throat> so there's your picture sitting right there and I'm sitting there saying see look I'm famous I'm this is the podcast I'm on um, but then the second thing was after I found some actual good maps and we walked through and and <laughs> I, I have no idea what she studies in school because I'm kind of an absentee parent, I guess. But we get through this whole discussion of like, you know, how the expansion happened and then, you know, the fight back and the Normandy invasion and, you know, the changing role of the Soviet Union. And she looks at me halfway through this and she says, didn't he learn anything from Napoleon? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And she's ten. Good. So maybe anyway, she so played. Maybe she played Napoleon Total War against her instead of Rock. <laughs> really, I suspect I, she'll be harder to beat because she knows uh, lessons. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so I'm doing great. Sorry. Good. For the detail. No, that's good. It's good that you have nice. Well, I actually owe Tom an apology. What for? What? I take oh, that back. How dare you? <laughs> Last week, I, I may have intimated you, you were lying about sicking pirates on me during our game of diplomacy. Right. And it's entirely possible that I'm just wildly paranoid um, when it comes to sins. I don't think uh, so. I, I really think Tom's out to get you. Well, here's the thing, though. I ended up in my last game with uh, MK. I actually ended up slapping a massive bounty on her because I convinced myself that she was working against me. Um, and she rage quit the game. <laughs> wow! Wow! A good sign for a healthy relationship, there, Rob. <laughs> yeah, yeah. forced your your partner, and I'm doing air quotes here because MK, you don't want to call her a girlfriend or whatever. You forced your partner to rage quit out of your own paranoia. Yeah, it was it wasn't a shining moment, but afterwards <laughs> she wasn't that. She wasn't okay. It was it was a mild rage quit, I suppose. But afterwards, she was like, 
you know, you probably owe, owe Tom an apology because I think <laughs> he's sick when it comes to this game. That's very sweet of MK, but uh, I, I think the game you and I were playing, I was very uh, straightforward about when I was and wasn't putting a bounty on you. There were times that I was and there were times that I wasn't. We, we actually had the AI gunning for us a couple of times yeah. in that game. So no apology needed. Well, the, Extend the, it to MK. The, the times yeah. when he was. Was the game running? Yes. Therefore, pirates. <laughs> I love the pirates in Sims. By they the are. I saw your fidget so, blog on that today, and uh, a friend of mine said, I hate Tom's headlines because you get this whole piracy scare about Sins of the Solar Empire in your headline. Oh, you guys don't pirate. realize. I have, I have meetings every week with the NBC Universal folks about how to trick you, you people and I'm using that for my readers, with headlines. I hate the headlines, too. The whole objective, and Troy, you're going to have to learn this sooner or later with Flash of Steel, the whole objective with a headline is to trick people into clicking on your stupid story, and I hate it. (laughs) It's the worst thing ever. Okay. The cool thing with the Sins Pirates, so they have new special pirate armor now. (laughs) Ooh. It's sort of like uh, I think Ironclad decided. You know what? We're going to break the pirates out of paper rock scissors and give them, you know, paper rock dynamite. You know, the pirates get some special advantage with armor now. It makes them even tougher. Oh. <sighs> that does not sound good. <laughs> all right, so we're all doing some clearly some fun things uh, this week. Um, this is our anniversary show. I want to talk a bit about uh, the show, and I want to thank you guys, especially uh, especially Julian and Tom, because you've been here since the beginning, and Rob, you've been a wonderful and highly acclaimed asset to the show since. Uh, but the 53 weeks, and we've never missed a one, which I think is quite remarkable. Has Gamers with Jobs ever missed a week? Uh, we have we have deliberately taken a week and done a best of show. Does that you count? Mean, that's called a rerun. <laughs> no, 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 like where we've edited in a bunch of stuff from previous shows. Ah, like we've actually we taken something we've like taken that. the we've taken the step of actually producing a piece of content that has not aired in the exact same format before, but we've yeah. never just been like, crap, I guess we skipped this one. Right. No. Good. Good, good. But this is, this is hard. <laughs> it's a grind, man. Listen to, <laughs> to you fuckers every week. <laughs> yes, listening to you fuckers. That's very nice. That's good language. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Happy anniversary. Uh, I... I've been doing some compilations, and I did notice the first use of the word fuck was by Tom Chick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does he get a rose? In episode three. He does get a rose. Episode three, he was talking about Empire Total War, and of course, the word fuck would pop up. Yeah, I don't think that, that doesn't sound like me. I don't think I did that. Uh, you, you did. I don't have that exact clip here, because it was just... Huh, that's interesting. That's very convenient. You don't have the exact clip. Uh, okay. Uh, it was yes, exactly. Uh, the thing is, it's because you explained this to me tr- before, Troy. Yeah. It is such uh, it's an idiom that really I feel waters down the the impact of the yeah. F word, uh, right. and I love it, this idiom. idiom. Was go for uh, it. It's something about the, the doing you know the AI doing F all. Yeah. Uh, and when you when you sort of do F all, you know, and you actually say the F word, uh, it kind of softens the blow. I feel. <laughs> I just love that expression too. <laughs> doing yeah. F all. Episode yeah, what was, specifically was it about, Troy? Was it about the AI in Total War? No, it was about um, how uh, Empire Total War just uh, at the tail end of the Czech parabola, which we're going to get into in a bit, how it just didn't satisfy you. And 
kind of a, it was n- no fucking way. I think was the exact phrase you used instead of sweet fuck all. Um, but that was a great episode, and I think I was able to. Where, where, in my opinion, we really started hitting things, and I think it was just me and you and Bruce. I don't think Julian was there for that show, uh, and I think that's where we really found our stride. Nothing against Julian. Uh, and my favorite Tomism was something that's popped up quite a bit, and I think it's, it's a thing you've said over and over and over again. I don't think you realize how often you've said it. You said, "Screw this! I'd rather be playing Europa Universalis 3. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that way a lot about life. <laughs> so, why do you think that is? What is it? I mean, that because you've said that more than once. I've gone through a number of episodes. I've read it at least five times. Uh, that you've said, you know, I'd rather be playing. I'm playing this, and I'd rather be playing Europa Universalis 3. I think I've normally said that where it's in the context of a game trying to do something similar to what EU3 does, maybe? Yeah, usually. Either it's diplomacy uh, or trade or something. It's not always an historical game, but something in those contexts, yeah. Yeah, I just really admire, and I, you're with me on this one, Troy. Yeah, I just really absolutely. admire what EU3 does and how far that basic concept has come. Uh, so that's, yeah. So on the whole, I'd rather be in EU3, to put it another way. And like so that came after uh, this great piece of dialogue. My experience with it is sort of, and I'm, tr- I'm going to try to use a math term. Bruce, call me on this if I blow it. But uh, my experience with it is kind of like this bell curve of fondness, where at first I hate it. I'm in there, and I'm like, works. oh, what? Pardon? Did that work? Did I use works. it right? I don't think it makes any sense at all. Well, let me explain it. Hold on. Let me explain it, and then you guys tell me if I'm wrong. I'm, this is my bell curve of fondness for Empire Total War. Uh-huh. At first, I don't like it. So it's the very bottom of the curve, right? And I'm slowly liking it as I learn it. But why I don't like it is they do a terrible job with their documentation. It's got a terrible manual. They want you to play through this little scripted campaign if you want to learn anything. Uh, the tooltips are really screwy, and I hate them. Uh, and it's just it, it, it would be hugely alienating to a new player, I feel. So there I'm hating it. But then I'm playing it, and I'm learning it, and I'm liking it. So I'm climbing up that bell curve the very top of the bell curve, I'm like, hey, I've sort of figured it out. I like this game. But then I start to discover that the AI is terrible, that it's a dumb game, and I start coming down the far end of that bell curve, and I'm no longer fond of Empire Total War. Did I describe a bell curve correctly? You described the shape of a bell curve, but parabola would have worked better, because a bell curve is about distribution. So there we had uh, the chick parabola in its first appearance, and it made a happy appearance in a few more episodes, but then vanished into the ether, unlike Tom's coffee joke, which debuted in episode four, and we've still got, not gotten rid of. So yeah, the Czech Parabola, what was that about, Tom? Do you still experience it? Do you still see games in that way? Oh, sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the uh, uh, first of all, yeah, what that was is a cautionary tale of me trying to use math terms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I like started the, out as a bell curve. The chick parabola is great because if you have no idea what we're talking about, it sounds like some sort of pickup line, you know? <laughs> what? <laughs> the chick parabola. It's like a, it's like a it's like a pickup strategy, like you know, you know, wearing oh, yeah. a dinner jacket and carrying the rose. Ah, what you need is the chick parabola. <laughs> yeah, it's a series of books and tapes that you can order online. How to meet women. You use the new chick parabola. <laughs> But yeah, I, I certainly, that's still uh, very much uh, how I feel about a, a lot of strategy games and, and even RTSs and whatnot. And uh, I'm a little worried it's starting to kick in with Napoleon Total War as well. Kick in how? In a good way? Uh, just that? that whole thing where, you know, you're, you're, you're figuring a game out and you're not liking it. And as you figured out, you are liking it. 
But then once you figure it out, you start to see how brain dead it is and how there's no challenge there. So it's that it's that that brief bit at the top of the parabola where you really like a game, right. and then on either end of that parabola, you, you don't like the game anymore. Have you tried the multiplayer for Napoleon Total War yet? I have not. It's not out yet. Uh, you and Rob have been playing it, it sounds like. We ha- we're going uh, to be playing we're it. We're too busy. We will be soon, yeah. So I have my deadline coming up, uh, but yeah, we'll be so playing. So I wonder if you Google Chick Parabola. Uh, I wonder how... Uh, <laughs> is that, it's going to gonna depend on how you spell it, I think. How do you spell what? Chick yeah, or Parabola? Chick. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> how else can you spell Chick? <laughs> how else can you spell Parabola? Uh, parabola, Chick, parabola. Chick Parabola is, in fact, uh, the Empire Total War debate is the second hit for just playing Google Chick Parabola after something on the uh, JSTOR archives on the comparisons of packed cell volumes. From Perfect. So-called... Let's, let's get that on uh, Urban Dictionary. Let's lay claim to that. So. <laughs> oh, God, I'm not going in Urban Dictionary. Look back through the episodes. One of my, probably our most controversial episode, the one that got me the hate mail. Uh, was the Mark Walker episode. The Walker debacle, uh, as I have been calling it uh, unofficially. Uh, remember, we had Mar- Mark Walker on the show to promote his uh, war game, Lock and Load Heroes of Stalingrad. Right. And we ripped and, them a new one. <laughs> yeah. We ripped- I, I want to distance myself from that one, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we did. But this is where we, we ended up getting moments such as this. Great, I'm glad I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I mean, <laughs> game's completely busted. And I wouldn't left-click on something to attack it. I would probably right-click on it. So, you know, there's... If it didn't work to right-click it, the next thing you would do is left-click it. Oh, actually, the next thing I would do is probably, like, close the game and go do something else. <laughs> oh, my God. Two great moments uh, from the Mark Walker show, Julian and Bruce. It really late. You guys both liked the game. We did. I know. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> so, I mean, people, people have asked me. I mean, Matrix isn't very good about this. Bless their hearts. Uh, Matrix Games has said, no, I mean, Mark gave as good as he got, defended his game, uh, came did. in, and he fought hard. He did a good job, I think. Still keeping me excited about Lock and Load, though it still hasn't come out yet. But, Julian, what the hell, man? <laughs> oh, come on. What do you mean, what the hell, man? Well, I think what it comes down to this is a, this is this is sort of a, something that we, as guys who talk about video gaming, I don't want to call yeah. us journalists, but some people will use that word. I'm cool yeah. with that. It's something we have to deal with. When we get yeah. an early look at a game, how much of a break should you cut it? Yeah. And a lot of readers uh, and listeners, in this case, I think want us to be harsh and want us to really throw tough criticisms down. Whereas there's another school of thought, and I happen to subscribe to this, that before a game is out, you really should, I think, give it the benefit of the doubt a lot of times. Uh, And different people approach it different ways, and that's totally cool. But that's one, uh, I think that that was an instance of where uh, Julian and Bruce were very critical of parts of this game, uh, even though they weren't quite finished. Uh, and, and the game wasn't really ready to be evaluated yet. Uh, well, and I, you know what? And, I, and to, to hold on to y'all's credit, I can imagine that that can be very, very helpful to a guy like Mark uh, to get that sort of perspective on these are the kinds of problems that people have with this game right now. And here's some things that you should address. So if and, I was Mark, even though I might have felt a little stung after that, I can't help but think that that, that sort of input would be invaluable. And to Julian and Bruce's credit, I mean, they were in many ways criticizing some basic conceptual stuff 
in the design frame. The well, we tried to stay. I mean, I tried to keep my mind open and say, okay, this part is clearly not done. And right. there'll probably be, you know, hover help for this little section, right? I mean, th- there's a million things you can look at and say, okay, I can see how this is going to get fixed. But, right. but to, I think there's two things. One is, they did give us beta code knowing we were going to be having this conversation. So it's not like we stole, you know, the Half-Life 2 code and then reviewed it, right? I mean, so it was all very much in the open. And the other thing, too, and this is just my own personal failing, I don't do reviews. And I don't do reviews for a reason, which is I'm bad at most games. I'm easily frustrated and easily flummoxed. I love games. I spend a lot of time playing them. But I don't think I'm the best reviewer of a new game anyway. So I, I try Julian, to I, keep that in. Can I call you out on that, Julian? You've said that a few times, and I, I think that's so unfair. You, you may not think that you officially review games, but you talk about games, and you're very opinionated, and you influence the way that people think sure, about sure, but games. I, I, so I think it's I, a little unfair to, to sort of use that as, as an out, that you don't review games, because I think you do review games, even if you don't formally write reviews. Uh, but I think, so I, I think that's a really important difference, though. I mean, like, I mean, Julian... Uh, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm denigrating what you do, but I mean, I, you have a bigger platform than the guy in the forum who talks about these games, but you're still not breaking it down and assigning a score and making a value judgment on these games. You're just, you're sharing your experiences. Right, and but that's, every that's gamer my point. Does that. All I'm trying to do, all I ever try to do is share my experience with a game. I happen to think, that's what a review does, by the way. That's well, exactly I was going to say, I think good reviews should do that, but there's a difference between a review and a buyer's guide. And I think most reviews that I read, and I can I can say without doing any ass kicking, kissing, not the ones that I read from people on the show, um, but most reviews I read are generally buyer's guide reviews, right? They I can't remember who said it, but uh, you know people people tend to review games like they review refrigerators, right? And and those kinds of reviews have a certain more a, a certain level of clinicality to them that I just can't bring to a game. Games to me are very personal emotional experiences. So if I get frustrated with a game, I'm going to write about that the game being frustrating. You know, what we really need is a new games journalism. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> in the freaking head. Uh, lock and load is not out yet. It's I guess not it's not. We no, would have known about it. It's, yeah, we would have we would have heard about it. I would have gotten an email. It's been almost a year, but, isn't it? Didn't we do that last spring? Yeah, well, last last summer. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's, it'll be a while. I was supposed to get it that fall. I, I'm well, you, you guys very... probably set the uh, release date back by like six yeah, months. I'm <laughs> actually very eager to play that. I think there's a lot of promise in it. Absolutely. And I really hope that Mark gets You know what I want to play but... that on? I want to play that on an iPad. If ever there was a game that should be a touchscreen interface, it was that game. Uh, to go back to Tom's point about you know playing games that aren't done, I'm, I think about our, our Demigod episode. Where we were actually pretty harsh on the game, and we ended up making one of our probably one of my favorite strategy games of the year was Demigod. Though our Demigod episode, which was played on a beta, uh, was a lot. Oh, that's harsher, right. Was a lot harsher uh, than our final opinions were. Well, you know what, Troy? Though I think that we did that. One of the complaints we had was that it was this almost World War One style yep. slog, which the beta actually. I, I think that was still that's still the case. I mean, that's. That was a complaint that we had, right. but I think it's part in a weird way of what made the game special. Well, and uh, to be to be fair, you guys were probably better off playing the beta because once that thing went retail, you know, all hell broke right. loose and you wouldn't have been able to get a multiplayer game to save your life for three weeks. 
right? So yeah. the worst thing you could have done would have been to play that on release day. I think the yeah. final version played a lot faster than the one that we played. I mean, we were slogging it out with my, you know, angel archer guy and your minotaur. Well, you know, Troy, I think actually what I, it was is that it's almost like chess. Yeah. And that if you don't really know the game systems, the game is going to take a long That's time before you can reach an in-game state. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've watched uh, here at Shoot Club some guys play Demigod who don't really know it. And it's funny. It's like peering back to when we first played it and didn't really know how to win. Uh, they're just throwing dudes out there. Dudes die. They keep throwing. It's, you know, this once more yeah. into the breach <laughs> to no effect. Uh but yeah, that was so, a, that really wasn't done though when we reviewed it, and when we talked about it at least, because the beta we had was even a few weeks older than the time we played it, because they were using older betas, as I recall. Here, Troy is a is a I think a, a good example, and I'm not, I don't mean this to be a value judgment, but uh, contrast uh, how Julian and Bruce approached lock and load mm-hmm. to how you and I approached that that uh, Armada twenty five twenty six yeah. thing, which right. we both had a build of, we both had concerns. Uh, and that and was coming out, was coming out the next week. <laughs> right, right, exactly. It was pretty, and the, the final wasn't that different from the beta we played. Right. But you and I both kind of, and again, I don't mean this as a value judgment, but you and I both had the inclination to, uh, oh, I forgot his name, Bob. Bob Smith. Yeah, we, we both sort of wanted to give Bob Smith a platform to talk about his game and put it in the most positive light. Even though I know at the time you and I had very deep reservations about how it was actually going to turn out. But who does yeah, that, but, but who does that also, serve by doing that? And you know you're playing a build that was only a week out? And well, no, I mean, cut also the guy the, a ton of slack? Well, didn't cut a ton of slack. I think there was also a personality thing going on here. And I think, I mean, if you compare Mark Walker to Bob Smith, both very nice, very good people, uh, and talent, talented designers. But, I mean, Mark Walker is. He's a he's he's a zealot. He's an advocate for his design, and he comes Mark out Walker there. Can sell it, yeah. Mark he can Walker, sell his game. Yeah, he he's out there, and I think he in many ways, not that he liked the pushback, but he's out there, and he's in many ways he invites the criticism. He invites people to talk about his design. Whereas uh, Bob Smith, God love him, who's been in the business forever, uh, was there. He was talking about his design, but it wasn't really selling it or pushing it. And I remember many times in that show, we had to bring him out. We had to ask questions. Right. And to haul them out, to say, come out of your shell. You want to tell us more about this neat thing you're doing with resource collection or with skunk works or what have you. So, But I do want to, Julian has a great point, and I, yeah. you know, I, I wrestle with this. Who does that serve? Right. Uh, and, and I honestly feel that in a preview, uh, I, I just am so reluctant to pass judgment on a game when uh, it's not done and when that's not really the place that I should be doing that. When I write a review, that's where the gloves come off and that's where uh, you know I've spent time with it and I'm willing to pass judgment and, and be harsh. When a preview, especially when I'm talking to the developer, I just am really reluctant to do that. And and yeah, like if you're looking for criticisms from me in a preview, I have to confess you're not going to get them. Uh, that's something that I say for the review. And, and I think Julian's question, who does that serve? It's a valid question. It absolutely is. Uh, I want to play now one of the most requested clips from uh, the absent Dr. Bruce Garrick. There's no such thing as gameplay anymore. (laughs) It's all revenue. No, but I mean, what I'm saying is that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's like the crass quote of the year. There's no such thing as gameplay. It's all revenue. I want you to explain that, Bruce. Go go ahead. Elaborate. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think think that. the, the ability of people to mod games and to for, for designers to 
patch things and change things around. I think the gameplay, you know, if you say, oh, this is, you know, a core concept, any core gameplay concept that somebody designs, there there's going to be some huge faction of gamers who think that that should be changed. And so, you know, somebody will mod it or it'll get changed or there'll be an expansion which changes everything because you'll have more detail. And so, you know, your limitation is no longer a limitation because all you have to do is, you know, micromanage 500 other things and then you can get around it. I mean, that's that's why I think I, I think the whole issue of downloadable uh, content and expansions and whatever you want to call it, just things that things that show up regularly and change games has really uh, I, I think it's 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 made games a completely different completely different consumable product than they used to be um and you know our, our relationship to those games changes you don't get the you know it used to be that i'd go to the store and i'd get some game and then i would play it and uh you know everything that the designer wanted to put in the game that he thought was important was there now i often get asked uh in email why do i have bruce garrick on the show since he plays, <laughs> I do because I say, well, he doesn't play any games made after 1980. Uh, so why do I have someone like Bruce Garrick? And then I listen to a clip like that, and it reminds me, well, that's why you want Bruce he's Garrick. Because he's smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> smart overrides currency. <laughs> uh, <a> little... <laughs> Julian, you have such a way with words. <laughs> yeah. There's, I mean, there are so many clips I could have found like that, which demonstrate why Bruce Garrick is uh, first. I mean, he was one of my early models as a, you know, as a thinker about games in general, uh, and he's been a very good supporter of mine through my career and strong advocate. And but I listen to a clip like that and think, well, this is why we have the Bruce Garricks of the world, and I wish he played more. Uh, Tom, when did you first meet Bruce? Because you guys are like, you know, Cain and Abel. Man, that's a good question, Troy. Holy cats, I have no idea the answer to that. I, Bruce is one of those guys I feel like I've known forever. Uh, it's got to be getting like to 10 do... years, no? Oh, I mean, when did that? you get your first... Oh, yeah, way more than that. Be... I mean, I've been, I've been writing about games for, I guess, over 15 years now, and it feels to me like in that entire time, uh, Bruce and I have been colleagues in one way or another. Right. I'm guessing, and I, I'm guessing I met him over... Did, did I meet Bruce over Usenet? Uh, I don't know. That's, uh, that's some question. some rec dot games. You, you, you should explain. Out. You should explain Usenet to Rob. <laughs> you rec game strategy. Yeah. Well, that's how the thing is. That's how I know. Like like Mark Asher. Mark Asher and I go way back. And Mark Asher would be the same as Bruce if Mark had stayed in the uh, in, in the game a little longer. Like if Mark had kept writing about video games. Uh, uh, for then and for Mark Asher was Tom's co-founder of Quarter to Three dot com. Right, and Mark was also a freelancer like me, like Bruce. Yeah. You know, we go back with Stefan, with Eric Wolpaw. Um, so I don't know, but yeah, Bruce and I getting to do uh, the Tom versus Bruce thing for CGW for so long. Uh, yeah, I mean, as much as I sometimes think Bruce is out of touch, I don't think that hampers the quality of his observations in the least. And I loved getting to drop new games in front of him that I knew he was going to hate. <laughs> and he, <laughs> and hear mean, how he hated them <laughs> exactly uh i just felt like a sadistic bastard and i loved every minute of it you know making him play getting bruce to play unreal tournament i think might have been one of my crowning achievements in video games <laughs> you had a, but you did a tom versus bruce with unreal tournament you bet we did uh 
several different matches of with different uh, victory objectives, and we each had AI on our team, and uh, Bruce had no idea what was going on, but uh, he, he had a great time writing about it. Because so, your guys' partnership is, I mean, it's one of the great partnerships. It's like the Chet and Eric, and we have Tom and Bruce, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you're second at Chet and Fred, Eric. Fred and Ginger, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and well, we all know which one's which, ginger. Which one, I was gonna say, which one of you stands okay. backwards in high heels? <laughs> the, the, the one who lives in Hollywood. Uh, clearly. <laughs> hey, I'm not the one who opened the podcast with a musical. Hey, that's true. That, that's true. a Scarlet Pimpernel. Okay. Is that the new? Is just that the new uh, theme song to the show? No, it isn't. Actually, I'm going to try to get permission to get a theme song. Actually, but uh, this is what I'm working on. But I've got a choose which one I want to use. Um, so yeah, I mean, Bruce is... We, I wanted to have him here tonight, but he's on call. I left him a message. If he pops up, you know, he'll probably be popping up halfway through. Uh, Bruce is a great asset to the show. We'll always have a seat here, even if he's only here you know, twice a month. Uh, that's great. Uh, but that's why we have Rob Zachney, who came onto the show in what? When did you, what was your first episode, Rob? Uh, sometime in November, I want to say. Okay. Um, episode 43. It was the Epic Fails. Epic Fails, yes. One of our most popular episodes. And as I recall, I just, like, call, hauled you in the, out in the middle of the night or something. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, my partner and I were about to play a game of Age Mythology, and I signed in my email, and you were like, hey, can you record, uh, Three Moves Ahead in, like, five minutes? <laughs> um, so I was like, well, you know, yeah, I guess. Um, what's so, the topic? So, so what's going through your head when you get that email? Or that chat? Um, oh, God, I don't know. You know, just... I think part, uh, part of it was just, it was just you know, basically nervousness. Uh, because I was going with no prep, and we were talking about um, strategy game history, which honestly, you know, is, it hasn't really been my strong suit. Um, so I was, I was mostly... Okay, I'm just going to come out and say it. Bruce Garrick scared me a little. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't even on the show. Yeah, yes, he, well, he showed up. He wasn't supposed but to. That's be. right. That's right. But I, I still I still have this vision of him like listening later and judging. Um, <laughs> have, have you and, seen pictures of, have you seen pictures of Bruce cuz he's not a scary guy? No, well, you know, actually actually he is. No, come on. Bruce is a little tiny dude. He's he is so unimposing. He's like a little unimposing nerdy dude. He's, he's only scary the, when he starts talking. No, see, but nerds are scary. scary. When you're when you are on a nerd's you know area of knowledge, they are scary. They're scary That's people. True. That's, That's true. true. And strategy nerds are among the scariest of the gaming kingdom. This is true. I mean, I don't want to make this a Bruce Garrick love but my first encounter with Mr. Garrick this is kind of scary, actually. Uh, it was at Origins a few years ago. Matrix flew us both in. He was going to be a little bit late, and I didn't know what Bruce looked like I mean, at all. So uh, I was talking to Brett Todd, and he said, look for the smallest, most intense dude in the room. <laughs> and that's Bruce. Uh, and he's just, he, he's intense. You were scared of Bruce. That's actually funny. Uh, but that was a, I mean, Rob, you've been a great asset to the show, especially since we've done a few with only two people, and I don't really like doing it with two. Uh, I think Rob's turned out just fine, don't you guys? We like Yay, Rob. let's keep him. Can we keep him, Troy? Can we keep him, please? He doesn't soil please. the rug. <laughs> like my new puppy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Troy, how did you... Uh, I, I don't want to turn things around, but how did you tell us about starting the podcast? I was hoping we'd get into a little yeah, bit of that. Well, it's, it was an idea that I was 
I'm going to something I've been thinking about for a while. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, many of which are terrible. Uh, and I've, it was something I'd thrown around for a bit, and I mentioned it in passing to Bruce uh, one day when we were playing uh, some stupid European board game where he beats me by 30 points at the end. Uh, and I said, I'm thinking about starting a podcast. Uh, you know, we do it, I do it once a month or so, and I'd l- get some people on a different group all the time. And Bruce was, you know, typical Bruce. He's, I'd love to do that, but I got to be able to call Tom gay. <laughs> uh, uh, he was insistent I get Tom onto it, and I think that was, I was so glad that Tom, that you were willing to do it. And then, uh, as you recall, at the end of the first episode, which we recorded with Vic Davis, the lost episode, I was, you know, pretty much all set to say, you know, we're, okay, I'll see you, I'll see the audience in a few weeks' time. And you said, well, you closed it. It's a le- the very end of that episode. Why don't we do this every week? Um, which was kind of the kick in the ass I needed to do this. Uh, I think there's actually an audience for this, and I think our, we have built an audience for it. Um, and here's how much our audience has grown. Uh, February uh, is, of course, the shortest month of the year, and this February is going to be our biggest month for downloads, uh, easily, uh, with well over 8,600 downloads this month. That's over 2,000 a week. Uh, it's been growing in subscriptions regularly, um, and I'm so happy the audience is out there for this. We've gotten a lot of support from the developer community. Uh, I'd like to thank you know the people at Matrix and the people at Shrapnel. Um, a lot of the independent developers have rallied around us, which is great. Um, thank people at you know Wargamer and uh, NeoGaf, and of course Quarter to Three which is your place, Tom, and you, of course, were very helpful in building an audience from there. Quarter to three is where the audience started. And there's... Because that's an old-school PC gaming group. Isn't that right, Tom? It's a, it's an outgrowth of Usenet, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just a bunch of old stodgy dudes who... Uh, most of them are pretty smart, yeah. Now, my big worry for this show, going into it, and still, is what are we going to do when you run out of topics? Because we can't talk about religion every year. <laughs> uh, you know what, Troy? I think I, one of the things that I really appreciate that we get to do yeah. is are things like the Sins of the Solar Empire episode we did uh, yeah. last week. And even though we talked about Sins before, it's nice to, for us, and I like to think for the listeners as well, to revisit just one title and talk about it in depth. Uh, those, are because- very, those are very popular episodes. Our, when we focus on a single, either a single game, uh, either historic or current, those get a lot of traffic. In fact, one of our most popular episodes ever was our Solium Inferno episode. Right. Uh, right. Because, it's, yeah, it's got an audience that doesn't have any other place to and it, turn. And it was know, current, what, what right? It was a yep. current game at the time. Right. Absolutely. So I don't think we're going to be running out of topics. And the thing is, as we approach topics, like new topics keep coming up. You know, I want to talk about the whole matchmaking system that, that, that StarCraft Two is doing. That's a whole topic there. It's jumping yeah. onto random strategy games with... Uh, you know, with strangers, uh, and have StarCraft Two really wants you to. Not do that. all of us got keys, moron. I did. I didn't even ask for one. I didn't get one. Nobody. I'm loves not sure. How, I'm, not, I'm not sure how I got one, but I got it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and then I, yeah. I, 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 we need to have, and I'm, I'm disappointed that we haven't. We need to have a Darwinia episode. Oh, we yeah. should. We should. We should, we should do an intro version. Intro version. We should yeah, just do an intro version episode. Let's get Crystal Aeon. Who? Yeah, they they just unveiled oh, yeah, yeah. their new uh, their new game subversion. Uh, yeah, which, which is, is some sort of heist thing, right? 
It, you know what it reminds me of? It's covert action. Kind of. Oh, yeah. really? It, it looks like the introversion take on, you know, uh, covert action is about spy and heist movies. It was Sid Meier's early game. Yeah. And this looks like introversion doing a latter day version of that kind of game. Uh, oh. I, so, yeah, I, we, you know what? We're never going to run out of topics as long well, as they're yeah. strategy yeah. games. Always something <laughs> well, that's just, I mean, we, we always have something because we've often, I mean, let's be honest, guys, we've come like pretty close to like recording time with nothing. <laughs> yeah, but we can always just you know show up and talk about stuff, right? The the problem is if you hold it to the standard of we all have to have played game X before the show, that can be difficult, especially during a busy release season, which seems to have started I think in October and is still going on. But right? fortunately I mean, for strategy games, there aren't many of them. And the well, problem yeah, but, but, is you want to play you want to play, play some everything. crappy action game and you know. Well, I don't know. I, I do kind of feel like it's really picked up on the strategy. For all the talk that it's sort of like, between strategy and wargaming, for all the talk that these are sort of like moribund genres, um, it's, it really seems to have been pretty brisk, um, again, like starting back in October, and it seems to have stayed that way. Um, so, I mean, you know, we, we had a few good expansions to talk about, and there's, you know, more new releases coming up. So, the industry is keeping us supplied with fodder. And I'm with you, Rob. I mean, this week alone, there are three things that I would love to talk about for an hour. One of which is Napoleon Total War came out this week. Yep. Another of which is the Dawn of Discovery expansion, which adds multiplayer. So you know, multiplayer and a city builder, that's crazy. That comes out this week. And then there's another small uh, release, uh, Xbox Live Arcade and PlayStation Store, from a new Danish uh, Dutch developer called Greed Corp, which has been on my radar for a while. That came out this week. Those are three big releases in a slow uh, yeah. February. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we, we, I, yeah. This I think we're calling this genre moribund. How dare they? Well, that's just it. I, mean, I think I think in 2010, I think is the year of strategy games. I mean, with the announcement of Civilization Five, for God's sakes. Yeah. Civilization. I hear there's going to be a cover story somewhere about that. Game Pro. I'm 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 not talking to you, Julian. So you can give me the advanced scoop. Uh, I, I swore I had. I swore. No, that you I were all about this. Stuart. I talked to Sid Meier. Blah blah blah. I was up this Facebook Facebook crap. games. No, no, I know, but 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 they yeah. did the cover. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did the pivot. But I didn't get hands on. I I I, I, I co-wrote the piece with with a guy named Jason Wilson and and yeah, yeah. Jason Wilson, formerly of One Up. Uh, yes, great copy writer. Ed- former copy editor there, and did some great. Who's work. a really great that. writer. Incident. He is. Uh, Jason Wilson's a very good writer. He's a bit mob, and I hope that uh, somebody gives him uh, some full-time work. He's one of the few people in the business that actually values good copy work, like all good copy. And, and he, writes, he writes so similarly to me in style that co-writing a piece with big air quotes around that was completely painless, and I dreaded it. I like lost sleep over it, and it was completely painless. He, he writes like you do? He, I, stylistically, it was like we wrote over each other's copy, and I could reread it now and not tell you who wrote which. That's such a shame. <laughs> Poor guy. He's, he could do so much He's better cursed. than rising to my standards. He's or cursed. Sinking, sinking to my low standards. Yeah. If only he'd finished high school. Yeah. <laughs> what that is a perfect example of is how bad a strategy game Heroes of Might and Magic is. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's right. Oh I saw. Wait, I'm going to say that again, and there will be. Are, a we, are we all just going to like end the show by kicking each other in the nuts? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the microphone. The, that... and my speakers are broken. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello. 
No, you will explode in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> wow, so, what was the context for that? That was... That's you some gotcha say, journalism there, Troy. That was you saying Heroes of Might and Magic sucked. <laughs> I'm and, pretty sure I was talking about that whole idea of, of clearing a static map with a killer stack. That's my that's my prediction for what I must have been talking about. That is there. absolutely right. That yeah. is ab- that is absolutely right. That is the context uh, for that quote. As opposed to like a living world. Yes. Map. Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. Uh, the best part of that, of course, is Bruce saying you will explode in minutes. <laughs> Just become one of his go-to phrases. Um, uh, guests, uh, we've had some really great guests through the ta- through the year. I think, um, of course, we have Vic Davis twice. Once we've kept, once we didn't. Um, guests we'd like to have coming up. The say creators you, of say Bioshock you, get, too. you you can cast the next. Say you can have a you can have a guest for February or for March. You can cast the next guest. Who do you get? See what uh, comes to mind. I was actually being facetious, but one yeah. of the things I think of is a, a game like Section Eight, which is a shooter, yep. but it takes a lot of. Uh, it's it's heavily influenced by what TimeGate did with their strategy games. And so you devoted a great part of a podcast last year to Section 8. Oh, that's right. We did get to talk about that. But anyway, so yeah, yeah, exactly. But I would love to hear from the developers at TimeGate about doing that and that process. And once again, as with Kohan, Section 8 didn't take off. You know, how do they feel about the fact that they're they're struggling commercially with these games and, and having a hard time finding an and audience? And doing interesting yeah. things. I mean, that's got to be really frustrating. It's not like they're just, yeah. you know, slapping a label on another rebrand. I mean, Section 8 did some really interesting things. There's no reason right. that game shouldn't have been at least moderately successful. And so while I really dig talking to guys like Soren, you know, that was yeah. awesome. And I'd love to, oh, good Lord, I wish we could talk to Brian Reynolds. You know, I really want to talk to guys doing bold things who aren't getting enough attention for what they're doing. Yeah. So that that's something that comes so to mind for me is those, get Brian those poor time. Well, I want to get yeah. I want to get John Schaefer on to talk about Civ Five. Right? Twenty six yeah. twenty six year old kid on his first lead design project doing Civ Five. Come on. That's a story. He's a little local boy, Maryland. Yeah, exactly. So. You could have him come over to your house. I I'd be intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> Because he's clearly smarter than I am, and I'm surrounded by geniuses. He's obsessed um, with World War II. So, oh, is he? Yeah. yeah. He's oh, basically okay. the 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 shtick of Civ Five is that it's basically going to be the Panzer General Civ. Rob. Oh God. Um. You know, pass. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can't do that. Let's see. You can't pass. All right, Troy. Who would you pick, and we'll come back to Rob. I, someone who I've actually been trying to get, and we've certainly we've talked about this before, is having an imperialism episode, an episode devoted to one of the great SSI strategy games of the '90s, imperialism. And I'd love to get uh, Rachel Bernstein, who was a designer and producer uh, on the, that series. Uh, she's a brilliant woman. She uh, and the Spice Brothers, of course, developed those games, and they had uh, their studio frog city did some had some really interesting stuff going on uh a lot of some games that didn't actually get made and then they ended up collapsing under the pressure uh, to make a grand theft auto clone called snow as i recall uh and i just think that getting people to talk about old games uh, classic designs of the past that's really what i'm interested in 
I'm an amateur historian. I love how the, the, the genealogy of games. And I think imperialism is one of those games that has had echoes uh, through the industry, but has no, had no real clear descendants. And I think someone like that, uh, either the Spice or Miss Bernstein, would be a great guest. Yeah, and one of the reasons I want to talk about imperialism, too, is it does so many things right that I wish other games would copy. Yes. I mean, imperialism, too, solved problems already that many games still have. And if they would go back and look at imperialism too, they might realize, hey, you know, you don't need to struggle with these problems. Here's an, an example of how it was solved. Yeah. So we are going to be, are going to have an imperialism episode come hell or high water probably sometime next month. Okay, Rob, I've said mine. Now you got to say yours. You can't pass. You're in the catbird seat. That's right. No passing. Well, okay. I don't. I don't know whether or not this would work. My question is: Does Johan Anderson speak English? Yeah, you bet. <laughs> we had him on the show. Did we? And he's got an awesome accent and everything. Yeah. I mean, he speaks English, but he sounds like he's in an Ingmar Bergman movie. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. He was on uh, our E3 episode. Oh, back like, uh, the E3 episode? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, yeah, that I do not remember that. Yeah. Can I can I so toss t- two more in? Yeah. <laughs> I have no short list. So, two totally, well, one really obscure and one not so obscure. Um Reiner Knizia. Oh, that would be awesome. Wouldn't that be awesome? Famed German board game designer who's now put out like 11 iPhone games in 11 months. Can I just say, I just want to brag briefly, Julian. I've I've met him, I've interviewed him, and I got him to sign one of my cards in that, uh, what is that, Cities of Gold? Lost Cities? What the heck is that card? Lost, Lost Cities. Cities. Lost Cities. Yes, I have a Lost Cities card that I got Reiner Kinesia to sign. <laughs> it's so, one of my prized possessions, along with the copy of... Uh, Unholy Wars that I got the guys at Toys. Uh, so for you Bob. can Just, you can imagine me now punching you in the side of the neck. That, <laughs> can, I, can I say something really mean and funny? Yeah. Reiner Kinesia dresses weirdly. Yes, he also <laughs> talks funny. Um, he really does. He's a very yeah. strange guy. The other person, Murray Campbell. Do you guys know who Murray Campbell is? No. Ooh, stumped ya. He's the programmer of Deep Blue. Oh, yeah. And and so, I mean, arguably the best AI programmer in the history of computer gaming. Um, I would just love to talk to him about the challenge of creating AI because he's not in the mainstream of like making games that we all play, but he is deep on the what does AI really mean side of things. I would mm-hmm. love to. I mean, I, whether he was on the show or not, he's the kind of guy I would love to like accidentally run into a bar in New York and say, Oh, what do you do for a living? And he says, Oh, I work for IBM. I'm a programmer and, and spend the next six hours of my life with. I'd really like to talk to Norm Coger. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. He's got a lot to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's actually kind of, I, I, I mean, the, the, my, my feelings about Coger's work is sort of equal parts like admiration and, curiosity i guess would be a polite way to put it <laughs> um and I, i'd really like to talk to him about some of his old designs um and i'd also like to ask him when when he's going to stop making these naval games <laughs> get out of the water norm <laughs> when's he going to stop making them but they're awesome you really think so yeah i do i i don't know i didn't i well i i haven't played jutland but i didn't care for um Distant guns, one bit. Okay. That was, I don't know. the The interface was was a little bit hellish for me. And whenever whenever there were destroyers or torpedo boats, you know, in the picture, it just it it just turned into a descent into hell. 
Yeah, but I'm I'm with I'm with Rob. I want I want Norm to go back to doing the other kinds of things that he does. It just has such lim. Just for me personally, it has such limited appeal. Is, yeah, uh, old rickety yeah. battleships banging away at each other. I I love the distant guns games, but I'd love to see him go back to uh, traditional uh, war game. Not traditional war game. I think you know this hex based stuff's pretty much played out. But uh, I he did some my favorite games played out. Yeah. <sighs> You just Hex caused me. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm my heart actually just took a skip too. right there. On the computer, on the because com- you know on a computer you only have Civ Five is just know... clearly already passe. Wait, no. See, well, I'm, I'm not sure. Is, yeah, go ahead. If if a new and updated Steel Panthers came out, Ooh. would you would you not be there? Of would you be like, oh, been there, done that? You know that that whole format's done. I I would be there in a heartbeat. I I would love another beer and pretzels. Uh, like tactical, tactical hex-based um, war game. Okay, if, if they updated Age of Rifles, I'm there tomorrow. Didn't they? Age of Rifles? No. I hope if if they did and, and no one told me, <laughs> yeah, I'd be very very <laughs> upset. If you don't know, nobody knows. Come on. All all kinds of things I don't know. Uh, so yeah, we've had some really great guests, um, and I want to play a clip from our second guest. And I think is one of my one of the, my favorite moments uh, from the podcast. Many decades after the end of the war, a man sat down with his family for Thanksgiving dinner. The man had once been a dashing young airman in the U.S. Navy, flight engineer on a PBM Martin Mariner flying boat. In the days immediately after the war, he was stationed for a time in occupied Japan before being discharged and returned home to marry his high school sweetheart, raise a family, and dedicate himself to education, salmon fishing, and golf usually in that order. His daughter-in-law knew about his time in the Navy and at this particular Thanksgiving dinner asked the former airman if, while in occupied Japan, he ever gone out to eat at Japanese restaurants. Restaurants, he asked, shaking his head. No, they didn't have restaurants. Those people didn't have anything. They lived in rubble. Japan had suffered mightily for her ambitions. Her Navy, once one of the most powerful on the planet, lay scattered across the floor of the Pacific. Her cities were shattered, burnt, and obliterated. Her people did indeed live in rubble. But her erstwhile victims and eventual victors had suffered as well. Tens of thousands of Allied soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines had died on the beaches, in the air, and on the sea. Tens of thousands more suffered horrible wounds. Millions of Chinese died in the occupation of Manchuria, and the Filipinos suffered in equal measure, if not equal numbers, during their own ordeal under imperial rule. The atrocities of Nanking and Bataan added brutality to the incarnate. The horrors were at an end, though. Peace and freedom bought at a dear price by the courage of so many brave souls. We owe them today our world, as imperfect as we may sometimes think it. Thanks, Dad. I know you preferred barbecued salmon to sushi anyway. Recognize the voice, gentlemen? I'm so glad you played that, Troy. That was nice. That, of course, was uh, John Hawkins, whose uh, War Plan Pacific was one of the best war games of 2008. And he was reading the epilogue, I believe, to the manual, uh, a right. tribute to his father, who uh, served in the Pacific Theater. Right. Great game, too. Yes. That, by the way, is what you miss if you don't read manuals. <laughs> well, but not, let's be fair, that's what you miss if you don't write manuals, right? I mean, how many people bother <laughs> to put that into manuals anymore? God bless them. That was one of my favorite moments uh, of the podcast. I was so happy we could have that in a very early uh, episode, in episode four. Um, it was where he also said another one. I think what I think is probably the most. If 
three moves ahead had a motto a Hawkins line would fit it. Any hobby, when it starts to think of itself as a niche market, can enter a death spiral. <laughs> uh, Hawkins said that, and I think he's absolutely right, and that's about strategy game. We start thinking of ourselves, uh, strategy gamers and strategy game developers start thinking of themselves as catering to a specific group, then they'll lose something. Uh, they'll lose what vitality they have. Um, and we've seen it with you know the flight sims. And I think Hawkins is hopefully his. What's his next game? Some sort of space game, right? Oh, that's right. Didn't he talk about that? That's Ste- right. He talked a little bit about his plans for that. Stellar Rogues. That's right. Stellar Rogues, uh, the game he's working on. So uh, when that comes out, uh, John, we'd love to have you uh, to talk about it. Uh, I can't wait to see what kind of epilogue he can come up with for Stellar Rogues. That's going to be a tough act to follow. Stellar, Stellar Squadrons, that's right. Stellar, Stellar Squadrons. Uh, just showing the note here. But yeah, I was talking about you know, how his great-great-grandchild defeated the Klingons or something. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be very moving. So, any last words, gentlemen? Is, is this where we talk about Bioshock 2 now? God, this is where we say thank you, Troy, for having us. <laughs> It has been a great year. And you know what? Here's the weird thing. It doesn't feel like it's been a year. I don't know it does. if I feel the same way, Julian and Troy, but I'm like, this. we just started this a couple months ago, right? <laughs> it does. Yeah. The time's gone very quickly. Um, my wife my wife still can't believe I'm doing two podcasts. She sort of thinks of this one as that other one that I'm doing when I feel like it. And I pointed out to her we were doing the one-year anniversary show, and she, she copped a completely genuine, what? Well, let's be honest. This is the other one you do when you feel like it. Well, I I missed more of the other one than I missed of this one. That's the that's the irony of it is that I've missed like a dozen GWJ podcasts over the last. Yeah, but year. there's a bunch of guys on that podcast that we all like better than you. So that's like true. We well, I mean, there's a bunch of people on that podcast my wife likes better than she likes me. So <laughs> <laughs> I get that a fair bit as well too, Julian. Because I do I do three a week, and I yeah. I don't think of it as difficult as all at all. It's uh, it to the credit of the people with whom I do it. It's just me hanging out, talking with friends. Exactly. You guys it's, have it's made replacing it time with the coffee shop. I look. Because Tom, you've just recently become a podcast addict. I like to think of it as a podcast whore. Yeah, whore. <laughs> uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Tom's other podcast, you, you know Julian's other podcast, Gamers with Jobs Conference Call, one of the best uh, roundtable podcasts on the internet. Tom, of course, has two. Well, he has the quarter to three podcast, which is two divisions. Uh, there is the gold medal division, which is just movie uh, talk with his friends Kelly Wand and Christian uh, which Morosky. Which is awesome. That's to it me. Is, that's your crown jewel. I love that podcast. Well, I love doing that. But you know what? They're all they're all three so different. These you guys are my strategy game nerd friends, and I, I like to think that the people who listen to this podcast feel the same way. I mean, there's something about when you listen to people talk regularly. You get to know them, and you get to be their their friends. Right. And Especially that's about that something that's just narrow. I won't say niche because yeah. then Troy will go jump off a bridge. But no, and that that's something that I, I think that we we offer the folks who listen, and that's certainly something that colors why I enjoy doing it with you guys. Is I feel the same way, and and it's the same. The movie podcast is great, but one of the things I love doing about the games podcast, which is the is, other quarter to three podcast, populated with uh, members of the quarter to three forum. Exactly. Every week, I, we meet a new person on the forum. And in many instances, it's someone with whom I've never spoken to before. Uh, we sometimes talk about games that I don't understand. And it's just a one-on-one conversation with a, a new friend. Uh, and so when people say, you do three podcasts a week, they're not the same. They're not difficult. And they're something that I enjoy doing anyway. Like you said, Julian, it, 
it's just like hanging out with someone at a coffee shop. Well, I'm so, very, yeah, I've, I've really appreciated getting to do this with you guys in the past year. It's been great for me, and I'm so happy to have. I couldn't have done it without uh, Tom or Julian or Bruce, and now increasingly Rob. I'm so glad you joined us. We'd always have a third seat. Not that you're a swing guy, you're as much of the show now as anyone. Uh, but we're so glad you could join us. And, and you know, by the way, who else is kind of a part of the show? I feel now. Who's MK? <laughs> Rob's <laughs> partner. I just I love how she's kind of like our our, our silent. She's like our our ring or no our fifth beetle. I think of because <laughs> she plays strategy games. We got to get her in the next chicks who play games podcast. She plays strategy games and she she totally. figures when Rob talks. I mean, she has some input. I really like that. <laughs> yes, because my wife doesn't have any input whatsoever on this. It's mine, and I love that. I don't have to ask any permission what I'm talking about. Uh, so, listeners, I want to thank you all for tuning in. Someone once said that they had the sense that I would do this show if I had only 25 listeners a week, and they're probably right about that because I enjoy doing it so much with my friends and colleagues. But I'm fortunate to have uh, 2,000 downloads a week, which is a wonderful treat. It's great to have an audience out there, and it's appreciated. Please spread the word uh, to the strategy gamers out there and war gamers and old people like us. Please uh, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you can, if anybody at Microsoft can find a way to get us listed on Zoom, I would appreciate that as well. Because <laughs> they're not very good about listing us, no matter how many times they apply. For some reason, Bill Abner's Game Shark podcast gets listed on Zoom the first week. Makes no sense to me. I'm cuter than he is, and younger by a few months. You are. You are, for sure. Uh, so say goodnight, everyone. Goodnight, everyone. Good night, Troy. Thanks for letting me be a part of this. Where's the musical? <laughs>